All right, so I'm excited to, to jump back into the Word with you today. Um, I, I was telling somebody, I used to be a youth pastor, and so I've been like to 20 uh, camps. At one time in my life, I went to 20 camps in a row, but all of those were either children or student camps, so it's a little bit different vibe. Uh, but I think a lot of the principles, uh, a lot of the benefits transfer no matter the age. Can you imagine like, what your life would be like if every day you heard from the Lord, if every day you spent time um, in the Word, in prayer, and singing praises to Him, and maybe you even had a podcast or uh, resources that you would either watch or read to get other people preaching God's Word to you and teaching you, man, uh, hopefully you already see some of those benefits just off a very small sample of a couple days. Uh, but we're going to jump back into this, this idea of being a bridge. That's what we started off with uh, yesterday, and we learned that God has called us to be a bridge, to reconcile, to bridge a gap between lost man and a holy God. And hopefully, uh, yesterday, you came away with the understanding that you were actually made for this. As intimidating, as scary as it might be, God has designed you and equipped you and called you to this very ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. And as we go forward, I hope to show you that it may not be as scary as you think it is. Uh, maybe you're afraid of being the guy on the street corner with the sign that says the end is near and you're street preaching. Uh, I've had um, the awful, terrible privilege of doing that before. Um, I don't think that's the most fruitful way of sharing the gospel. But listen, if you're not going to do anything else, do that. That's more obedient than doing nothing. And so we can talk about what's more uh, fruitful or effective, and, and all those things are wise conversations. But do something to get the gospel out. But it doesn't have to be as scary as street preaching. It doesn't even have to be as scary as knocking on doors of people that you don't know who's going to answer and looking for an opportunity or meeting people on the street as they're passing. Although all of that has been used in my life as training to be able to be uh, able to share the gospel with people who are close to me. But it doesn't have to be that scary either. And so um, when we talk about bridges, I want you to know there are lots of different types of bridges. Right? You ever drive across bridges and some of them are just those basic bridges where there's an embutment on either side and there's uh, probably some steel that spans the way and it's paved over. Or, or maybe when you were a kid, you went hiking through the woods and you came across a creek or something you needed to cross so you threw a log over it and you made a very primitive bridge. But bridges get, uh, you know, pretty sophisticated. There's a lot of philosophy that goes into bridge building, a lot of mathematics. I don't know if there's any structural engineers in here, uh, but man, people put a lot of math and thought into this. It blows my mind. Um, I can't keep up with it. Some of them make sense to me, but there are lots of different kinds of bridges, arch bridges, beam bridges, cable bridges, suspension bridges. Those are beautiful, but very expensive. They can span a very long distance, but usually cost a billion dollars or more to build. Arch bridges, trust bridges, there's lots of them. And depending on the span that you need to cross, depending on what you're going to, uh, the load that you want to carry over that bridge, the traffic or whatever it may be, it, it needs different supports. It has, uh, requires a different technology. And you'll find as you begin sharing the gospel, God will equip you with different tools and different understandings to reach out to people in different ways. But for right now, what you have as most important is, is you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given the word of reconciliation. That's the power of God unto salvation. And you've been called the ambassador of Christ. 
But today we're going to jump a little bit into the, the, that philosophy of what does it mean to be a bridge builder? How do I go about this? And I think today will be a little more practical than, than yesterday. Uh, tomorrow will be even more so. But let me give you the big idea at the top of your study guide. is this. As a bridge, you must strategically connect with the lost. That's who you're trying to reach. Hopefully you're, you're already connected. Most of us in here are already connected to God. You've already been reconciled. And so you're trying to reach the lost and reconcile them to God. So uh, we've already prayed, so let's just turn our hearts to the scriptures. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you'll turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Whoops, I put my marker in the wrong place. You guys will probably beat me. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me give you your first blank so that you can go ahead and start writing. I know some of you are note takers. You're anxious to get these blanks filled in. The first point that I want us to see today is the mandate of building bridges. The mandate. Because evangelism is not optional. It's a command. That God commands you to preach the gospel. And somehow we think that people who do share the gospel, we hear about our friends or we hear these testimonies of somebody leading somebody to the Lord. Last night uh, from our church, there's a, a girl in our church who led uh, her friend to the Lord and it's been a process of, of months. But she, uh, last night, prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And, and hallelujah, right? And sometimes you look at somebody like that and you say, man, that's a super Christian. I mean, really, going fishing after men, this, this person is glorious. But what we'll find is that's not the case. It's not the super Christian. It's not somebody who's very gloriously spiritual that leads people to the Lord. It's just someone who's obedient. And so in this mandate, let's, let's look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll begin in verse 16. Paul says, For though I preach the gospel... I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Well, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel." For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And let's, let's just stop right there. I want you to really focus on the mandate that he's talking about. It is required. He says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. I'm not a glorious Christian because I'm sharing the gospel. And probably all of us think, we think about who's the most glorious Christian. Well, we think about Paul, right? This guy's out sharing the gospel city after city. He's being beaten and, and tortured and stoned, left for dead. He's, he's going through all this turmoil to share the gospel and plant churches, make disciples. And really what he's saying and really preaching the gospel is just the bare minimum. Jesus said it this way in Luke 17, 10. So likewise ye, when you have done all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Paul's incredible preaching of the gospel, winning souls to, to Christ in the Middle East, in Europe, and in Asia, doesn't make him profitable. He's just breaking even. He's just doing his duty. 
That's tough words to say against Paul. But that's what he says. And those apply to you and I as well. It's not reserved for people who are super Christians. It's for all of us. If preaching the gospel qualifies you as an unprofitable servant, can you imagine what it is if you don't do your duty? If you don't preach the gospel. He says in verse 16, for necessity is laid upon me. It wasn't optional. It was necessary for Paul to preach the gospel, and not just Paul. Did you know the other apostles, Peter and John, are commanded to stop preaching the gospel? They're commanded by their government rulers, by those leaders of the Jews, and they say, stop preaching about Jesus. You'll see it in Acts 4, 19 and 20. Their response, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And maybe you've seen this as, I'm just too excited about the Lord to, share, to stop sharing the gospel. I just, I just want to see you saved so much. That's why I have to share the gospel. I just can't keep quiet because I'm so excited. But the context is, who should I obey? God or man? So it's likely we cannot but speak doesn't refer to his, his emotional excitement about sharing the gospel, but really his, their recognition that it's necessary. Necessity is laid upon Paul. Necessity is laid upon Peter and John, and necessity is laid upon all of Christ's followers. Before Jesus ascends into heaven after his resurrection, he turns to his father, followers in Mark 16, 15. He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. To every creature. Preaching the gospel is not something that, if you, if you get around to it, if your schedule allows for it, if you're extroverted or, or you have all the answers already, it's to his followers, preach the gospel to every creature. And so once you understand this mandate, then you can understand what Paul says about it. He says, necessity is laid upon me. He says, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Now, if you've been reading in the Bible, you know that woe is used uh, many times throughout the Bible, and every time, it's about severe devastation. The things that are going to happen as a result uh, of woe are terrible things. Severe judgment. And this totally conflicts with the way we see the gospel, doesn't it? I mean, if I don't preach the gospel, it's no big deal. It's not that big of a deal. God doesn't really expect that of me, and there won't be big consequences for me. You know, man, maybe somebody else will share the gospel with him, somebody who knows more than me or is more confident than I am. But, the, but God says, if you preach not the gospel, woe is unto you. The, whatever that devastation, whatever that severe judgment is, whether it's here on earth or it's whether it's at the judgment seat of Christ where Paul has just talked about, knowing the terror of the Lord, and he's, he's written to this same church and told them, man, there's, there's a judgment day coming. Wherever it is, there's woe to pay because it's a matter of obedience. And just like any obedience, sometimes you feel like obeying and sometimes you don't. There's some things you, you're, you're happy about obeying. You know, when I was little, my parents told me it's time to go to bed. I was not happy about that. But if my parents would just call me now and say, it's time to go to bed, <laughs> I'd be like, okay, I'm happy to comply. 
There are times where you want to obey. There's times when you don't want to obey. And so Paul actually expresses this in verse 17 where he says, if I do this thing willingly or if I do it against my will, what if you can't do it with the right attitude? What, what if you don't have the right motivation or reasons or what if you don't do it the right way? Well, do it anyway. He says, if I, if I do it willingly, what does that mean? Well, maybe you've got a heart for people. Man, I really care about my coworker. I, I don't want to see him go to hell. I, I, I have a love for Jesus, maybe. I want to see Jesus exalted and, and worshiped by more people. I want to please him. Maybe you've got a desire for heavenly rewards. We're going to get there. There's a crown waiting for you. You share the gospel. You're faithful with it. God's got a crown waiting for you. Rewards in heaven. That's why he says in verse 17, I have a reward. If you do it willingly, those, those are things maybe you're just feeling willing you want to share the gospel. For me, the idea of sharing the gospel is something I love. I always want to share the gospel when I'm not around somebody who I need to share the gospel with. When it becomes unwilling, when it becomes against my will is when I'm in that moment. And let me just show you a window into my soul for a second. You know, I'm not concerned about people's questions. A lot of people are. You're concerned about people. I've... Um, had the privilege of sharing the gospel a lot, and I've had the privilege of people asking me questions that I don't know the answer to, and some, it forces me to go back and look, and sometimes I can find those answers and be better equipped for next time, and sometimes I just realize, you know what, I don't need to be distracted by those questions or discouraged by them. Uh, what really bothers me is I'm a pastor, and I have this uh, mentality, or at least I'm tempted to have a mentality that people are going to uh, be put off by Jesus because they feel like I'm being judgmental, because I ask them about whether they've been born again. Or when they, I ask them and they say, yeah, you know, I was listening to a song one time and I just, man, I just felt like I had a whole lot of joy. And for me to correct that and say, let me clarify this a little bit. Sounds demeaning and I don't want to appear that way. That's, that's my hang up with the gospel most of the time. So sometimes it's against my will. Sometimes it may be against your will. Maybe you even say, instead of loving people, I don't really care about these people. You get around some people, and their sin is so despicable to you, and they're so annoying that you just feel like, I just don't, I don't have an overwhelming desire to help them. Maybe you're just not that excited about the gospel, or maybe you're afraid of the questions that people are going to ask you, or maybe you're afraid, like me, of how they're going to respond. In those cases, Paul says, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. That word dispensation, it's a big word. You probably don't use it outside of church. It means a stewardship, an entrustment, a management. He says, you've been entrusted with the gospel, and so I have to speak it. I have to preach it faithfully. We saw this last week, but I want to remind you, 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says that we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so, we speak and we're reminded that it's a test that he's try, trying our hearts, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. 1 Corinthians 4.2 would say it's required in stewards. If you've been put in trust with the gospel, it's required that a man be found faithful. It's, it's required. It's not suggested that you be fa faithful. It's not recommended that you be faithful. It's required. The question is, will you be faithful with the gospel? It's your mandate to preach the gospel. Maybe more personally, let me ask you, what lost person are you intentionally working to connect with? 
so that you can share the gospel. You know, for pastors, our, I said this yesterday, our, our schedules usually get pretty busy. And the idea of putting something else into my life, like ha- adding another item on my task list or responsibilities, it, it just uh, really discourages me and makes me really nervous. But we've got to do it, right? This is our job. So I've been really convicted by people in my church and by the word of God. And uh, man, I, we started praying that God would help our church to be more evangelistic. And in, in my prayer journal, uh, my prayers for our church, like structurally, we'd become more evangelistic, but also personally, that I would. Because I kind of know. Um, pastors who aren't evangelistic end up leading churches that aren't evangelistic. And so I... I started praying about this, and I, I don't want to do anything else, honestly. I feel like I'm up to my eyeballs. But I knew I had to do something. An opportunity came up for me to coach T-ball. That's awful, by the way. <laughs> my son plays T-ball, and um, it's like herding cats out there. They don't even know which way to run around the bases. And in, when they hit the ball, a lot of times they'll run into the outfield to go chase the ball themselves. <laughs> it's so frustrating. An airplane passes over and nobody's paying attention. I mean, it's just, I could go through a long list of things that are frustrating, but God, God showed me I need to find a way to connect with somebody for the purpose. So that's what we did. We started coaching T-ball and we started planning play dates after the game and we started uh, asking people to go get coffee. And th- this is an approach. And I don't know what your approach will be, but you've got to find a way to strategically connect with the lost. Otherwise, a bridge to nowhere is worthless. All right, you know what you're supposed to do. That's the mandate of sharing the gospel. But let me show you number two. It's the method. How do you do it? The method of building bridges. And Paul's going to go into a, a, a description of his ministry and how he did this. So I want us to read verses 19 through 22 together. Probably a familiar text to you if you're familiar uh, with evangelism. is often used to, to consider Paul's life. He says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I may gain the more. Now he describes in verse 20, and unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, not being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And from this, we see a couple things I want to bring out that really a lot of people uh, more wise than me have um, exegeted this passage, and for time's sake and for the limitation of my mind, we're going to bring out two. The first one bullet you have is this. You need to develop common ground for the gospel. You got to develop common ground. That's a bridge has to be placed securely on both sides that is trying to span. So we observe Paul's approach to reaching lost people is that he became all things to all men. And his first one in the list of what he became is unto the Jew, I became as a Jew. This is Paul's starting point in this passage, uh, but if you just track his ministry, you'll find that's how he started anyway. When he walked into a city, he looked to see, is there a synagogue? And he began, there may be doctrinal reasons in that as well, but certainly practically as Paul stepped into a synagogue, he is noted, he is a, a Pharisee, and he is a Hebrew of Hebrew. 
And he was very revered of the stock of the tribe of Benjamin. Probably people knew about him. And as he steps into a synagogue, it's, man, it's, it's like if Sam Miles stepped into my church. Oh, we have Pastor Sam Miles here. Would, would, you, would you just bless us and, and preach to us today? Alan Shelby comes in, man, there's no way I'm preaching. Be careful if you visit my church. And so it was with Paul, he used common ground that he already had naturally. In his ethnicity, in his nationality, in his culture, Acts 17.2 describes when he comes into Thessalonica, it says in verse 1 that he went into the synagogue in Thessalonica, and verse 2 says, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So he's looking for that common ground, and he begins in the place where he knows he's already got it, with the Jews. More than anything else in this list, this describes who Paul is. He is a Jew. So start with your current relationships. When we're talking about being a bridge to the lost, you might not be like me. When you're a pastor for a long time, eventually you become isolated and insulated from lost people, except those that would visit your church. And those who have been long members of your church and just never saved. But start with your current relationships, your current setting. You probably already have people in your circles that you go to school with, that that you are on a team with, that are in your family, that are in your friend circles. Start there. But then he goes on, because after you exhaust those and you share the gospel and you feel like, you know, I've done what I can, and oftentimes the gospel causes separation that people don't want to be your friend anymore. So what do you do then? He says, well, to them that are under the law, as under the law. And this is, man, this is so instructive for us. When you find somebody who has some stricter standards than you do, their morals or their traditions or more prominent than yours, you don't win them by flaunting your liberty and violating their own standards. You respectfully become as under the law. Now, you know what the beauty is? Paul's not really under the law. He's been set free. But that's his point. He become, he, though he's free from all men, he becomes servant so that he can gain them. He goes on down the list and he says, here's another group, to them that are without the law, as without law. So he goes into many places where they don't have that high moral standard. They don't have the Old Testament law either. And so he can come in and, and the way that he wins them is not by putting on his three-piece suit and walking in and pretending to be better than them. It's becoming as without law. Now he clarifies and he says, it's not, it's not that I'm without law to Christ. I'm not living in sin. This is an error that many people get into. I'm going to participate in this sin so that I can reach them. And Paul says, no, not that. But there are plenty of things that you can change. Your customs can change. Your clothes can change. Your holidays can change. You can eat with people who are different than you. So you develop common ground. You know, the more we get into this digital age um, and we get virtually connected, sometimes it's more difficult for us to be really personally connected. And you might need some help in how to be a friend, how how to meet people. That's okay if you do. Talk to your leaders. Say, I need some help with this. They probably got some ideas. I'm an introvert. I have to work on it. 
Well, they say pa- most pastors are professional extroverts. You know that? We seem like ex- extroverts when we're up on a stage, or maybe when we're in the foyer. And then after we get home, we're glad to be alone. Spend a lot of time in our own heads and our own hearts, studying by ourselves. We get comfortable there. All right, that's not what I'm supposed to be talking about. So in verse 22, he goes to, to the last one that he mentions. It's to the weak became I as weak. Oh, can you imagine the sacrifice of becoming weak? Living like a weak person so that you can gain weak people. Maybe the most sobering of the illustrations of this is uh, some Moravian missionaries. Maybe you've heard of uh, Dober and Nitschmann. They were two Moravian uh, brethren from Germany. And they were burdened for the African slaves in the West Indies. They were told they couldn't go there. So they had determined and sold themselves to a slave owner boarded a ship bound for the West Indies. Now, when they got there, things didn't work out like they wanted them to. But they were able to stay and share the gospel. In fact, uh, American historians would say that a lot of the uh, Negro spirituals and a lot of the things that uh, are present in that people were a result of these men's ministry. Can you imagine selling yourself into slavery so that you could reach slaves? Maybe God won't ask you to do something that extreme, but God will certainly ask you to become all things to all men that you may by all means save some. And the beauty is, just as Paul, you don't have to actually become a Jew. In fact, if if you're not Jewish, you won't ever become Jew. (laughs) If you're going to be a missionary to Vietnam, you'll never be Vietnamese. But you can be as a Vietnamese. He says he becomes as under the law. Well, are you? Well, no, you're not under the law. You've been set free. But you can become as under the law. You can become as without law. Your styles and traditions and customs, are they still important to you? Yeah. But you can sacrifice them. In fact, this is, the, this is the heart, this is the whole context of this section of 1 Corinthians. As Paul's talking about earlier in this chapter, that he's willing to give up his liberties of being paid as a pastor. He says, that's my right. But I'm going to give that up for the gospel's sake. In chapter 10, he's going to talk more about liberties in Christ. Being free from all men, but becoming servant to them. Okay, so in your notes, I think this is uh, in your study guide. To, uh, a key thought is to, to, to build bridges. Don't build walls. Often when we see the differences in people... We're inclined to build walls up because we like to be around people who are like us and we're uncomfortable being around people who are not like us. But your job as an ambassador of Christ is not to isolate yourself and to make sure that you don't have any contact with these evildoers, but rather to build a bridge. So you could fight about religion and Paul certainly could have. But instead he builds a bridge and then he proclaims the truth. Okay, so let me give you the second bullet that we see. It's deliver custom presentations of the gospel. And I know this sounds scary and think, it sounds like I'm about to go heresy on you. Hang with me for a minute. To develop custom presentations of the gospel doesn't mean that the gospel message changes. The gospel is always the same. 1 Corinthians 15 des- describes it as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So we're supposed to carry that word of reconciliation. That's what needs to cross that bridge. But we do it in unique and relevant ways because we're trying to reach unique people. So there's not a one-size-fits-all for a bridge. You know, you don't go to like Ace Hardware or Home Depot and buy a bridge, right? They, they measure the span. They, they calculate what the payload, what, how long does this need to last? What is your budget? What are the resources that you have? And then we'll figure out what we're going to build. And so as a wise master bridge builder, you must deliver custom presentations of the gospel. So let me show you some examples. I see you shaking your head. No, this cannot be so. So let, let me just show you some examples of what I'm talking about before you stone me. Put down your stones for a minute. This is what Jesus did. In John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. And he comes to him. His name is Nicodemus. It says in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This, this religious person comes to him, this devout man. And he starts with saying, you need to be born again. And so we might take that and say, this is the approach I'm going to use every time with the gospel. But in the very next chapter of John, he encounters a woman who is vastly different than Nicodemus. You know her as the Samaritan woman at the well. She's a sinner. She's, she's living in shame. And she's not a Jew. She's a Samaritan. And she has differences. She's already brought up her differences to Jesus. Hey, look, this is, this is uh, you, how your fathers say, you know, you're supposed to worship, but our fathers worshiped in this mountain, right? She's already building up the walls. But instead, in John chapter 4 and verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if thou knewest of the gift of God, and who it is, see, he's talking about a free gift, and he says, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. Here's a woman who's always thinking about earning, always thinking about earning God's approval and worshiping in the mountain. He said, I'll give you something. And if she's there at a well and he's telling her, I'll give you living water, he doesn't tell her she needs to be born again because the gospel intersects her life a little bit differently. But it's not just Jesus that does it. Peter does that as well. He's at the, at the temple in Acts chapter 3. He's at the temple with Jews and he begins not with being born again. And, and he doesn't begin with living water, you know where he begins? With the patriarchs. Their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says in verse 12 of Acts 3, when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? And why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers. You hear what he's drawing? He's making that connection. I'm one of you is our fathers, not your fathers, have glorified his son, Jesus, whom ye delivered and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. And then he explains, you killed this son, this Messiah who was coming. It's a totally different presentation. And it's different still from what he'll say in Acts chapter 10. This same Peter, instead of speaking to Jews at the temple, he's speaking to a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And he doesn't say the God of our fathers. Let me tell you about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Hear what he says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Listen, he's not accentuating God loves our people. He's got a covenant with our people. He's the God of our fathers. He's saying God's a respecter 
of persons, no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Listen, there, there's a custom presentation of the gospel for Jesus. There's a custom presentation of the gospel with Peter and then Paul as well. We talked about him in, in Acts 17 when he goes into the synagogue in Thessalonica. Maybe you caught it. It's up on the screen again. Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Out of the what? Out of the Scriptures. Out of those Old Testament Scriptures that everyone in that synagogue believed in. He used that as the authority for what he's about to say. Acts chapter 17. And he says, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. He is the Messiah. What he's saying is he takes that, what they have in common, the Old Testament scriptures, that that they already trust in, and he says, this is what the Old Testament says about the Messiah. He's going to suffer, he's going to die, he's going to be risen again, and that's who Jesus was. He meets them right where they are. But later on in the same exact chapter, Acts chapter 17, he's no longer in a synagogue. He's on Mars Hill. And instead of talking about the Old Testament scriptures, which they did not believe in, and instead of trying to say about this Messiah and this Christ and the prophecies and what the Old Testament said about him, it says in verse 22, Paul stood up in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You're good. this is going to blow your mind. Ye men of Athens, because they're not Jews, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, okay, I'm, I'm talking about your religion, not my religion. I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him decli- declare I unto you. He starts with one of their false gods because he can connect it and say, there's a God that you don't know, I want to tell you about him. Now, in each of these situations, it's not just about making a connection. As it explains in Acts 17 earlier, he preaches Christ. And as he gets here, he's going to talk about judgment and and the resurrection. He's going to get to the truth of the gospel. But the entrance for the gospel was different for each group. And you're going to find as you share the gospel, some people are, are just ridden with guilt. And what they need is not for you to so much go through the Ten Commandments and convince them that they're a sinner. They know it. And they're struggling. They think they're not worthy of salvation. And there's some people who are self-righteous and they think they're good works. And and what they need is different. There are people who have a a Judeo-Christian, if we'll call it that, background, heritage. There are some people who have a Hindu background. There are some people who have an atheist background. And you're going to encounter all of them and A cookie-cutter approach is better than nothing. But if you want to be a wise master builder like Paul, not only do you develop common ground, but it also means that you deliver custom presentations of the gospel. Neither one of those by themselves is enough. In In our society, most Christians want to either develop common ground and be friends with lost people, and eventually one day they'll just kind of think, man, that that guy's a Christian. I I think I'm a sinner, and I need to be born again. I I think somebody probably died in my place, and you know what? He rose from the grave. It's Jesus. What I need to do is call on him and give my life to him. Right. So that's just developing common ground is not enough. But on the other end of the spectrum, there are people who just want to 
to cry out in a street. And listen, if that's the only opportunity you got, take it. At least then you're preaching the gospel. But when Paul talks about his approach to evangelism, he says he does both. And the philosophy for building bridges is both developing common ground and delivering custom presentations of the gospel. Let me move on to number three before we run out of time. The motive for building bridges. Why do you do this? Well, this is what Paul goes to. And he ends in verse 22. He says, I became all things to all men that I might by all means save some. So the first motive that we do this is for the sinner's sake. That's your blank, the sinner's sake. Paul had a heart for the lost. He never dismisses or becomes okay with the fact that they're headed for damnation. He wanted sinners to be saved. He said, I do this for the gospel's sake. I do this that I might save some. some. They need to be saved. So he does it for the sinner's sake. So let me ask you, who's going to be in heaven because of you? Can you find some faces? Can you, can you list some names? of people that are going to be in heaven because you loved them enough to tell them. To build a bridge to them and then share the gospel. And we ought to love people. If we love the Lord, we'll love the people He loves. But He gives us a second reason in verse 23. We'll read that. It says, And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. So it's for the sinner's sake, but it's also for the gospel's sake. Paul understood that he had been entrusted, he had been committed the gospel, and he wanted to be faithful. He wanted Jesus to be glorified. Jesus died on the cross to save people. Let's help him. Let's, let's do the work so he can get what he desires. He says in verse 23, This I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. The you is the Corinthian church. Um, It's not just pastors and missionaries that get to be partakers. It's the people of the church. It's Christians. Like churches like Oakland Heights Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. You're, You're welcome. We'd love to have you come to Disciple Conference. It's, it's churches like these in Kansas City, like others in the fellowship. Man, if Paul wants to be partakers of the gospel with us. The last bullet you have there, motives. You do it for the sinner's sake, for the gospel's sake, but also for your own sake. Verse 24 and 25 says, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So he talks about obtaining a prize in verse 27. He had already talked about receiving a reward in verse 17. In 20, verse 25, he says it's a crown. And this is how gracious God is to you. Can, do any of you have kids? Man, okay, a lot of you have kids. You know, you can mandate that your kids do things. And if they don't do that, you can use negative reinforcement to correct them, right? I had a lot of this in my life. 
I know how it ro- rolls. I'm not against that, by the way. Praise the Lord. Use the rod of correction and love. It's, uh, Proverbs says it will save the soul of your child. But God is so gracious. He doesn't just notice our bad behavior and correct that. He rewards our good behavior. He offers us a prize, a reward, a crown for be obedient. He doesn't have to do that. It's a mandate. He bought us. We're unprofitable servants if we do it. But he says, if you do it, I've got a prize for you. I've got a reward, a blessing for you. And that imagery of a crown is something that those Corinthians knew very well from the Olympian Games. So the one, one, you may be a little discouraged there. As he says, one receiveth the prize. You, some of you are like checked out already. Like, I can never beat the Apostle Paul. He's going to win the prize. There's no sense in me even trying. Maybe you know of some evangelists that are, that are around you. Man, my friend David is just, he shares the gospel with people and they get saved. And he does it all the time. He's got a heart for people. He's just always, all the time sharing the gospel. I could never match up to David. But I, I want you to see it. He, he's saying that many run in that race, but one reads the, uh, receives the prize. Not because only one person is going to receive that crown. Because he says in verse 21, or in verse 24, so run that ye may obtain. Now that word ye, you, I don't know what you do here in the Midwest. Um, in the South, our language, we just love God more. We love the Bible more. And so we've developed our own substitute word for ye. See, in the Midwest, if I can talk to you individually, Kenny, or I can talk to you individually, but in the South, they don't say that. They say you, Kenny, and y'all. y'all. Yeah, that's right. And you gotta, if Lee was in here, he could really teach us how to say it better. It's kind of a quick y'all, y'all. I got, I'm not great at it yet. But this is the, like the you plural. He's saying so run that you, you all, y'all, or maybe I say you guys, so that you guys can obtain. <laughs> so not just one person gets to win the prize. The point isn't only one person wins. The point is not everybody that enters the race wins. Not every runner gets the prize. So my question is, Will you have a crown? Or will you be a loser? (laughs) It's kind of a joke. All right, let me give you number four. The mindset of building bridges. That's a blank for number four, the mindset. You know, it just takes a different kind of mindset if you're going to build bridges. It's like being a soldier, man. If you're going to be a soldier, it takes a different kind of mindset. He talked about an Olympic athlete. If you're going to be an Olympian, it takes a different mindset. And if you're going to build bridges to the lost, it just takes a different mindset. And Paul explains that mindset. In verse 25, he begins, and he says, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. So your first bullet is, you must be temperate. You know what tempered steel is, or or tempered glass, the process of tempering? I'm not really intelligent, so I'll just say what other people say it is. It's the process of strengthening by purging some elements and adding others. So they heat up the steel or something, and they add elements to it, and they remove some elements from it to make it strong so that it can be as strong as they need to use it for, maybe building a bridge. But for us, this means adding some things to our life, taking some things out of our life, and maybe even God turning up the temperature in our life. 
so that he can make us strong enough to be used. And if you want to win this race, you've got to be willing to do all three of those. You've got to endure that heat. And you're going to have to add some things to your life. If you're like me, your schedule is already stacked. There's no more room on your task lists and priorities. So it means you're going to have to remove some things. Or maybe you've got some other things going on, heart issues with um, prejudices that you have or callousness that you have. And you need to remove those things, but then you need to add some things to your life. And as I said, this is the context of this section of 1 Corinthians. It's about giving up, forfeiting your liberties and your rights for the benefit of the kingdom. And I really want you to, to, to see this, because it, would you turn with me to, uh, you can keep your, a ribbon in your Bible, your fingers here, and turn to Acts 21. Acts 21. Paul goes to Jerusalem and verse 20 says, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after their customs. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do there, therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. Take them, uh, sorry, them take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads. And all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou walkest, also, uh, thou thyself also walkest, orderly and keepest the law. We, f we find Paul here in a place where he's been set free from the law, and he's been preaching the gospel. In fact, they celebrate that these Gentiles have been saved, but he's willing to become as under the law again, to be able to bring peace to the existing church, but also to reach other Jews who are watching. The multitude is going to come in. Certainly there will be unbelieving Jews in that. When we see this word, the race, we find it also in uh, Hebrews 12.1, this analogy of running a race. Hebrews 12.1 tells us to lay, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We're going to have to add some things and we're going to have to take away some things from our life in order to build bridges. So let me ask you, what are you willing to add to your life? Man, there's a myriad of people here with different set of various circumstances and the way God may be moving in you. But you may have to add some time in your schedule. You may have to, to add uh, some study time to get prepared. You may have to add uh, time to be able to connect with lost people. What are you willing to add? What are you willing to give up to build a bridge to lost people? Your time, your comfort. 
Man, maybe God's calling you to, to build a bridge. He's calling you that this whole world needs witnesses. Are you willing to give up your career, your life plan, to be a bridge builder? You've got to be temperate. The next bullet is you must be intentional. Paul continues into verse 26 back in our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. He says, that, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, and so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. He, he runs not as uncertainly. He's intentional about it. Can you imagine running a race? You don't know where you're going. You don't know how far it is. You don't even know why you're running. I don't ever know why I would run. You know, this is a... I've had like a decade of inactive, of sedentary lifestyle. It's not good. But even before that, when, you know, back in the days before CrossFit was popular, I used to do that. We had a group of guys that would work out. I mean, best shape of my life, but I hated running. People who like running, they're psychopaths. I don't know. <laughs> but do it for the gospel's sake, man. <laughs> Run like an Olympian. But that's what an Olympian does. He knows what the race is. He knows how far he has to go. He knows what the goal is, and he strives for that prize. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is I forget all my past victories, and at this point in his life, he's got a lot of past victories. Listen, Christian, don't get settled on your past victories. I, I got that list of people. Yeah, I made those disciples back then. I went on that mission trip. I gave that time. Man, what is God wanting you to do now? Continue that race. Don't be like the hare. You remember the tortoise and the hare, don't you? You still teach that story in school? Don't give up on the race too soon. Press on for that prize. He says, not only does he run, not as uncertainly, but he says when he fights, in verse 26, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. He's not wasting his energy. He's not wasting his strokes. He's doing everything he can to be productive, making every shot count. So fight like an Olympian. It means every decision that you make is about this race. It's about building bridges to the lost world. That means your career it's not just about dollars and cents and, and job opportunities. It's about the ministry of Jesus Christ. Every activity that you put yourself into, it's not about because I enjoy it or this is a good thing that, for me to um, work off stress or whatever it is. It's about the gospel ministry, about connecting with lost people and presenting the gospel. The last bullet is you must be disciplined. As Paul concludes this chapter, he says in verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says he keeps under his body, he brings it into subjection. He makes it do what he's commanding it to do, not what it wants to do. You know how it is. Some days you don't want to get out of bed. The alarm clock goes off. You know if, if I'm going to get my time in the Word in today, i got to get up. So you make your body do that. Maybe for some of you, it's like just going to church right now is your thing. You need to make yourself go to church. He keeps under his body. 
lest he should be a castaway. And that's a familiar term for these uh, Corinthians, as somebody who's disqualified from the games. And Paul's saying his concern is that he'll be disqualified from winning the prize because, well, because he didn't stay disciplined. And listen, if you're, if you're really going to be a bridge builder, you're going to need all three of these, man. You're going to have to be temperate. There's going to have to be some reshuffling of your priorities and life and your schedule. You're going to have to be intentional to not just go about life because this is what all my friends do, but, but because this is the gospel that I've been entrusted with, and I've got to find a way to build, build a bridge to the lost. You're going to have to be disciplined. See, God has, has called you to be a bridge, to strategically connect with lost people and then share the gospel with them. And depending on your personality, connecting with lost people may be super easy for you. And you really struggle to share the gospel. Or maybe it's the other way around. But we need to do both. That's our calling. We could do that. We can build bridges. And it's not as as scary as holding a sign and screaming at people as they walk by. It can be as intimate and friendly as truly becoming a friend with someone. And they may ask you, oftentimes they do, about what's going on in your life. How come your wife, your family, your kids, your husband, how come you're not afraid because of this or that? Or maybe you just have an opportunity to look at what's going on in their life and ask them if they're interested. But this is what God made you for, to be a bridge builder. And by His grace and by His Holy Spirit, He'll empower you to do it. Can we pray together? Father, I love you. Thank you for this, this blessed entrustment of the gospel. God, I confess that I've failed so many times. I wish I could say, like Paul, that I was never ashamed of the gospel. God, too many times I've put myself ahead of your mission. God, I repent. I'm sorry. Help me to be a bridge builder that you've called me to be. I pray for each one of these people. You love them. There are people in this room who don't know you as Savior. God, I pray that you'll get a hold of their heart, that you'll open their eyes, that they can be freed from sin, that they can have hope of eternal life, that they can have a relationship with you. God, would you call them to salvation? God, for many more, they're they're saved. and You've called them to be ambassadors, to reach lost people. I pray that you'd open their hearts to the people who are around them. Open our eyes so we don't just pass people by. God, help us to forsake our time-oriented schedule and consider the opportunities that you've given to us. Most of all, God, help us to love you more than we love ourselves. Help us to be obedient and given to the purpose that you've called us to. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.